Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Vincent van Gogh, in an earlier part of his career, was working on body proportions, uh, drawing figures and making sure the torso and, and the like are the proper length. And he had people posing for him, and he did these pencil sketches, and, and one of them is of an old man sitting in a wooden chair by a small hearth with a fire. His head is in his hands. Is he sad? Maybe, but it's hard to tell. You can't see his face. Tired? It certainly seems so. Van Gogh named this little drawing Worn Out. Worn Out. And I believe it encapsulates an experience I believe that many of us have had at some point or another in our lives. Now today, when I'm talking about feeling worn out, I'm not talking about the good feeling that can come after like a hard day's work, or after playing a sport, or after chasing grandkids around, right? You lay in your bed, your body might be sore, but it's a good worn out feeling. I'm not talking about that today. Rather, I'm talking about that feeling of being worn out as a deeper, more sort of emotional and existential exhaustion. It is not an experience that just necessarily happens on its own, but sometimes it may. But it can result from the weight, from the persistent wearing down of the pressures that go on in life, of old narratives that may be detrimental that we cycle through within our minds We become like these old stone steps, worn out by the rain, worn out by the incessant step and grind of feet upon us. There's a lot that can wear us down in life, a lot that can tire us out as the people of God. We can continue to be barraged by the incessant violence and injustice in this world. Tragedy just seems to follow tragedy. Whether it's in the community, whether it's even in our more connected relationships of friends and family. So much seems to stand in opposition to God's ways in the world today. And if it's not that, I mean just the daily grind of life at times. Whether that's work or relationships, it can take its toll on us. Or as I mentioned, these inner dialogues that for many can involve shame and other forms of degradation. We end up worn out and worn down. In our country alone, statistics point to that there is about 6% of adults that suffer from major depressive disorder. About 18% of adults in our country suffer from some form of anxiety disorder. That's about one-fifth, right? Looking at this room here alone today, that could be anywhere from six, seven, or eight people. Regardless of the cause, regardless of whether we know where it's coming from or not, we experience these things of being worn out and our hope can begin to fade or to disappear. The people of Judah in Jeremiah's day were facing destruction and exile. The northern kingdom of Israel had been decimated and the people had been hauled away into exile by the king of Assyria. But in Jeremiah's lifetime, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had surrounded the city of Jerusalem. 
laid siege to it, ended up tearing down the walls, burning the temple, and demolishing the building. The people of Judah and Jerusalem were also hauled away into exile and scattered amongst the empire of Babylon. And being in exile takes a toll on people. Even when the people wanted to and worked at being faithful to Yahweh, there was still this constant pressure from Babylon. Israel's sense of identity had been uprooted and ripped out. Their native language was somewhat jeopardized by being amongst the Babylonian people. Their food laws were challenged in many respects as well. They were constantly under the thumb of a ruler who was mainly concerned about more glory and more power for himself. They lived in a a land full of other gods and idols, full of other ways of being that could constantly and incessantly wear upon them. These dominant narratives were asserted upon them, and it created a space where it would make sense that there could be a lot of emotional conflict and identity crisis for the people. That was for the people of Judah in the south, but Jeremiah is actually not talking to them in our text today. He's talking to the people in the northern kingdom of Israel, a people that had been taken captive 150 years prior and had never returned home. That pressure of exile was upon them for multiple generations. And though we do not know, it's not hard to imagine some of them feeling worn out. And in the midst of that, feeling this pain and maybe this anger and lashing out in violence, trying to resist all of that pressure only to be met by defeat. It's not hard to imagine many just losing a sense of who they are, blending in with the Assyrians and just sort of giving up, weak, vulnerable, and immense loss of hope. But Jeremiah envisions a day of hope. He envisions this day of praise, this singing and this loud celebration. Exile, he says, will not be forever. All of these dominant powers that stand in opposition to the way of Yahweh in the world will come to an end. Exile will end and you will return home, he says. God promises to bring them out of the land of their captivity, out of all the places where they had been scattered. He promises to bring them back to their land. They will journey home. But what I find remarkable actually about this message of hope in Jeremiah is is not just this message of return and this promise of hope, but rather the attentive care and compassion that seems so close to this community of people. You get a sense that God isn't simply just going to like open a way for them to go and then step back behind a door or a wall and let them figure it out, but that he is close, that he has stepped into their lives, he has engaged his people to lead them and to bring them home. And this compassionate proximity of our God means loving attention for those who are worn out and those who are vulnerable. Imagine for a moment the message of Jeremiah being announced, and not just announced, but finally fulfilled. They're finally going home. It's been 150 years or more. They're finally headed home. And there's this joy, this buzz going around the community. It's finally here. But some of those people are lame. Their legs don't work. There might be this reception of, this is great news, but I don't know if I can make that journey. I may just have to stay here in the end. 
Some of the people in the community were blind. They had lost their eyesight and they're thinking, great, but that's a thousand mile journey on a road that I don't know. I'm not sure I can make it. Or what about all the women who are with child or those who are in labor, right? Their child is going to be born weak, vulnerable, plus they are going to be worn out. They don't know if they could possibly make a trip like that. It would be dangerous, maybe even overwhelming. But when God imagines this return home for his people, he is completely and fully aware about their situation. He is completely aware of how beaten down they are, how crushed and robbed of hope and energy they have for the future. So he will go with them. He himself will make the road ahead of them flat, straight, and smooth. Safe for the blind to travel with that great community. He will make it easier for the lame to be supported and even carried if need be by that community. He will provide water along the way. He will make the journey as immense as it is. Safe. And provided for even for those who are pregnant and in labor. That they may go with this massive community in this gift of hope to return. He will be with them. He will walk with them and lead them, provide for them. Because all of these people, from the greatest to the least, no matter how weak or vulnerable they may be, he, like a loving parent to them, sees them as his dearly loved children. And he wants to care for his children. Our God sees the vulnerable. He sees those who are worn out and broken, and he steps in and takes action that they may be cared for in that very vulnerable state. God has moved towards us. Our God is not one who stands off at a distance behind some closed door, but he steps in and engages people. He opens up and he steps in even to the point of getting so close that he ends up sharing life with humanity. The Son of God takes on flesh and Jesus walks around amidst this humanity, this great community, and he sees those who are blind. And he speaks to them words of hope. He touches and reaches out to those who are lame, those who are broken, those who feel that they have nothing left, no support. He steps in and makes himself present. And he makes his compassion available for those who don't seem to have anything left. And in this close proximity that he brings, his love moves him to provide for what they need in those difficult experiences. It is a beautiful thing to ponder the reality that Christ has stepped in and even offered his life on the cross. He allowed himself to be worn down and even worn out to the point of death and burial. He has stepped in and has been willing to even suffer alongside us as part of this great community that is humanity. It's a beautiful thing. It really is. But it is all the more beautiful that after his resurrection, after his ascension and his reigning as Lord over all, he continues to move towards his people. He sees us, he sees you, he sees me, he sees our hearts, and he desires to be near. And so he continues to move to be alongside of us by sending his spirit. He knows we're worn out and he knows we need the help of others. And he continues to work. He moves towards us. He empowers a community so that we would be cared for. 
and provided for by the nearness of his compassion. Some of you may be aware that a few years ago when I left my first call in Virginia, that I didn't just leave that call, I actually left pastoral work itself for a while. I was suffering from burnout. I was worn out, and not from a physical standpoint of laboring, but from a mental and emotional standpoint of being worn down. I even spoke with the call committee about this during my interview here, just in this room right over here, and some of you may be aware of this. However, few of you are probably aware that I've also suffered from depression and anxiety over the years, and especially this last year. Uh, I've seen a counselor probably every week of this last year, and I've been on medication as well. Some of you are also aware, and I share this with full consent from my wife, that my wife has struggled with depression. Uh, That my wife also has sought out help from therapists and from medications as well. I share all of this not to try to gain some sort of sympathy, oh poor pastor and his family and everybody needs to come around us. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this because about one-fifth statistically of people in our country suffer from these things. And in this room, that could be anywhere from six to eight people. Going through burnout is not unique to being a pastor. You can go through burnout in any vocation that you have. You can go through burnout even if you don't have a job and you volunteer. You can go through burnout simply in the relationships that you have with family and friends by pouring yourselves into these situations that may be hard and it can wear us down and it can rob us of hope. It's not unique to me or my wife. This is something that we all at times may struggle with. We all have difficulties at times depending on its level of severity, but we do not need to struggle in silence. And we don't need to struggle in isolation. Our God is the one who works to make a a path smooth and straight for the lame and the blind, who offers support and provision for those who are even with child or in labor about to go on a thousand mile journey out of exile. Our God is the one who promises to be present with the worn out and the vulnerable because Jesus, the resurrected one, is the Lord of hope. And he works that we might experience hope through others by his close proximity of the Spirit. I found hope through therapists, for instance. I found hope through other people like doctors. But I also found hope, my wife and I and our family did in in, uh, Kentucky when we got connected with a congregation that saw us in that state and just cared. We experience the nearness of Christ, and I am so joyful today to say that we continue to experience that through all of you as well. Our God desires to be near, and we experience the nearness of his spirit through the love and compassion of one another. Granted, I understand these things are hindsight, but these things are the work of God's presence. I don't say this today as if to say, you know, if you're feeling worn out, just feel better right now because God is close. That doesn't work, at least not often. I've been there. It can actually make things worse. It can make despair even grow. In the least today, what I am trying to say is that I hope, in the very least, you hear today that you are not alone. You're not alone. Maybe you do not have family or friends or are supportive in the way that you need. 
Maybe you don't have a community of people around you that you feel that compassion or feel safe with. Maybe you're here, maybe you've been here for decades and you still don't feel fully seen by people around you. It's entirely possible and it's awful to be in that place with hope fading away or without hope. And that is not a knock on the people here. It's not a knock as if we're failing to bring love towards others, but it's a reality that can happen. But God promises in Christ, his promises that by his spirit he is near. And today in some small way I have the privilege of being that nearness for you. You can ask me about these experiences I've had, but more importantly what I'm driving at today is that you don't have to go through these things alone. Being vulnerable is hard. It can be hard and frightening to talk about what goes on inside about bringing up hopeless feelings because the danger is is that we share these things with somebody else only to continue to be unseen. That can hurt a lot and it can happen. But I still want to offer to you today, no matter how great or small your struggles may be, or even if it's just times of joy, I'm here. I'm here to listen I am here to offer that nearness of Christ. Yes, at times, maybe imperfectly, but Jesus desires to be present, even through people like me. And Jesus desires to be present, even through people like you. I'm here for you as your pastor, and maybe at a more base level, as just a brother in Christ who cares about you all But God is also present for everyone here, through everyone here. And for some of us, that may mean that we need some courage to speak up and share about the struggles that are going on. And I pray for you if you need that courage to admit or to bring up with somebody else things that are going on. Again, I know it's hard, but I pray for courage for you. For others of us, that may mean that we need our eyes and our ears continue to be open, to have the eyes and ears of Christ to hear and see those who are vulnerable, to hear and see these maybe small attempts at being courageous, these small attempts at sharing, and to acknowledge them for what they are, and to move in closeness. This is hard on both sides of it. This is not an equal thing as a community. We all struggle, but some of us may have bigger issues at times. Some of us may be more in a place to be able to care. These things are difficult, and it will not be perfect. But I pray for courage for us to share in times of need, because we do go through times of need. And I pray for the eyes and ears of Christ amongst us that we would receive one another And move in a way that is meaningful in those situations. Our God desires to be close. Because he loves you. All of you and me. I pray that his spirit would continue to work amongst us. That we would continue to grow in being the community that we all need. And that we would also continue to be the community that he desires us to be. For one another. The Holy Spirit is here, and we trust in that promise. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.